My name's Trisha Tierney, and um, I am a macOS product marketer here at Apple. And I'm Stephen Tona. I lead the platform product marketing group, which looks after uh, iOS, macOS, and iPadOS. For me, this was probably the biggest day since the iPhone 10 announcement, and I'm tempted to go back even further. I feel like it's a day we've been waiting, at least I've been waiting half a decade, maybe more for. But I wanted to start at the beginning, and maybe, Trisha, we could start with you. What was your first Mac operating system, your first Mac experience? We all have just incredible stories about how we come to the Mac, and I was a switcher. My love of technology really came through architecture and design. I went to UCLA School of Architecture. They really believed that architecture should sit at the forefront of computing and that you would work with these tools to develop like totally new and innovative forms. And so I really started down this path of just like devouring 3D. (laughs) And I actually wasn't very informed about computers and didn't know what system was right for me. So I experimented. I had a gaming PC and then I built a powerhouse computer, but nothing really sort of was working for me in terms of that durability and amazing performance, like combining that together. And I landed on the Mac really after seeing these motion graphic artists just producing jaw-dropping work on, on the Mac and decided that I'd give it a try and really haven't turned back since. It's been really phenomenal. That was... Um, Gosh, I was working on Tron at the time. This is a long time ago. <laughs> uh, I think that's amazing. I'm, yeah, I think it was um, a seventeen. I think I had a seventeen-inch MacBook Pro, and I think it was running Snow Leopard. So it was wow. a long time ago. It's kind of crazy to to think how much the operating system has changed since then. No, but I think that's a very common story. In the beginning, you just want tools. It doesn't really matter. I need tools, and then you need yeah. more tools, and then you get to a point where it becomes a craft, and you need the right tools. Exactly. It really shows my age when Trisha says Tron was a long time ago. And I'm like, <laughs> when Tron came out, I had already been at Apple for, you know, almost 10 years, which I think was- You were was, already uh, fighting for the user long before Tron. Right, right. Which I always, which I always go, wow, has it been that long? No, you know, it's interesting for me, one of the really cool parts of this year's launch was that when I first joined Apple right out of college was when Mac OS X was just coming up. And so to see that evolution of, you know, making a huge change in Mac, like from Mac OS 9 to Mac OS 10 at the time, watching that grow. And then now to see us make this next huge leap for both the Mac and Mac OS is probably one of the most exciting things I've, I've ever experienced, right? Is these, to be part of one of those fundamental changes is amazing. Having watched, you know, Mac OS 9 to Mac OS 10, PowerPC to Intel, and now Intel to Apple Silicon and macOS to macOS Big Sur is just, it's been, it's been incredible to watch. So how does it feel looking back at that, or those original transitions and now, is it like, okay, we know how to do this? Or is it like children where you're never quite, like you've had a child before, but you're never quite certain because they're all individuals? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good question. I think, you know, whenever you look back on it, you're like, well, of course it should have gone that way. But the, the part that is, you know, that is never easy is our kind of quest to make the transition as seamless as possible for the user. There is just countless years that go into making sure that for our users, it is as seamless and easy as possible to move, you know, between these major architectural shifts. And um, and and the beauty is for the user, it's seamless, it's easy. And when they get one of these new Macs, it's, their life just gets that much better. But I think the, the hard work is done in the years before that 
really looking through the details and making that experience as easy as possible. It has been a long, a long uh, subject of discussion in the industry when OS 10 was finally going to increment. And like you went to 10.9 and people were like, well, now they have to. And then you went to 10.10 and people were like, no, the nerds were all, you can't go to double digits at this 10.11, 10.12. Apple, what are you doing? And now this year you are taking Mac, I have to, I have to make the obvious joke. You are taking Mac OS to 11. You are cranking it all the way off the dial. What does that, just philosophically, what does that shift? Because previously you did go to OS 10 and now you're going to OS 11, Mac OS 11. Philosophically, how does that feel to you? What does that mean to you? I think it's really appropriate given the major change that Big Sur is. If you remember from WWDC, we said, you know, this is the biggest change to Mac OS since Mac OS 10. And at that time, we were shifting from 9 to 10. And we really feel that this is that next major leap for Mac OS. And it was deserving of incrementing that up to 11. And so I think it's really in the spirit of how we see this change, both from a OS perspective and from a macOS on M1 perspective on this new chip architecture, it really is ushering us in to a new era for Mac um, that will kind of set us up for the, you know, the decade to come. All right, so let's dig into that a little bit. You still have a massive established user base on Intel, and they're already going to be looking at the new M1 Macs. And maybe, you know, they wait a while, they're a little bit more pragmatic, but what would what will Big Sur bring to them if, if they're looking for something new, something to just breathe new life into their Intel Mac? What is Big Sur going to give them? Mac OS Big Sur is really a huge update for the platform, no matter what device you're using, whether that's an M1-based Mac or an Intel-based Mac. Uh, with just a software update, you're able to update the whole look of your computer. We've really thought through the whole the whole design um, holistically. I mean, everything from the like the the radius of the corner window, the materials that are used across the system have been updated, so it feels totally refreshed and new. And then we're also introducing powerful new features that make it even easier to work and get information quickly on your Mac. So we have Control Center, which gives you quick access to controls as you're working. We have Notification Center, which is bringing your most recent notifications and beautiful redesigned widgets together in a singular view so you can get more information at a glance. And that's just the start with the design. We've really gone the distance in our apps too. So Safari brings you a more customizable experience. It's already the world's fastest browser and it gets even faster and we're continuing to really bring new features that make it even easier to see how Safari is helping you protect your privacy automatically. In messages, we have great new ways to hold group conversations and fun, interactive new ways to express yourself, including emoji and all new message effects that take over the full app screen. And then in Maps, we have fantastic new ways to explore and navigate the world. There's features like guides that give you great recommendations about where to go and what you might want to do. We have look around and in our maps for, for exploring a destination before you've ever stepped out the door. And we have cycling as well as electric vehicle routing, which makes it really great to find new ways to navigate to your destination. It's a really power-packed update. And on top of that, we have great new privacy features. We already sort of quickly hit on the new privacy report. We're also introducing in a future software update new ways to get privacy information about apps so that you can understand those privacy practices of developers before you've ever installed the app. It's just a huge update across the board. It's so exciting. Yeah, you mentioned the the nutrition labels, which I just love. And we've seen, you know, a few companies complain about them. I always think if you're not upfront about your business model, it's probably not the right business model to have. 
But I just, I love how you're just putting this front and center, again, fighting for the users here. And that's exactly the spirit of this, Renee, which is being transparent to our users about, you know, the apps that they use. And, and we think that this is just, you know, as you know, um, and we've said time and time again, but I think it's worth repeating that we believe that privacy is a fundamental human right. And that that is what guides us in terms of how we build our software and how we treat our users' data. And this is just another step in that direction, which is all about, you know, putting the user at the center, giving them the transparency to see exactly what is being done in the apps that they use. I think it's a really hard problem to solve because we have all these companies that are just doing what you would as a business. They're looking to get information about their customers. Um, and they do that oftentimes through tracking and apps and websites. But unfortunately, sometimes they really do accrue so much data and information about you that they can begin to develop like a profile of who you are and all the things you're doing without you even knowing it. And um, that's really sort of why, why these new tools matter is that we're giving you that tool, all those tools that you need to really you know, know what those what those companies are doing so that you can you can really, you know, consciously use apps and services. And so it's so impactful and important from that perspective as well. I totally get it. If I haven't clicked on their ad seven times, they don't want to pay to serve it to me the eighth time, but I just don't think they have the right to use X-ray vision to to, to monitor me doing that. <laughs> totally. I mean a lot of developers are actually really enthusiastic about it. And then there were some that actually didn't even realize that they had not the best privacy practices until they went through this exercise or the privacy report revealed it to them. And a lot of them are like, oh, we we actually really care. We just didn't quite realize these tools were that invasive and we're willing to update our websites and apps and we we want to do great things for our customers. So so we're seeing that it's actually really impacting the way these developers are thinking about privacy. And that's that's where the magic's happening. You remove that social SDK and it just fixes performance and privacy. It's amazing. <laughs> What I noticed almost right away was there was a few developers who immediately posted screenshots of the report showing that they had zero trackers, zero monitoring, and they took it as a point of pride. Instead of like shaming the bad actors, they were also happy it was a badge of honor to, to show on their website, which I thought was just so great. Which is awesome, right? You know, for us and the Mac, it it's that same philosophy that we brought when you transition from an Intel Mac to an M1, which is it's that Mac you know and love right? It's just better. And I think that was our, you know, when you look at the new design and all the new features, it really was finding that great balance of this fresh and new system that is instantly familiar and is all the things you love about a Mac. When we designed Control Center for the Mac, we didn't, you know, we didn't just bring it over in its same form that we have on iOS. We really thought deeply about what's the right Control Center experience for the Mac, right? Well, of course you want to put it in the menu bar, which is fundamental to the Mac. And then from there, we wanted to let users drag things out and pin them to the menu bar because we know Mac users want quick access to things with just a click of their mouse. And so I think that's really emblematic of how we think about the entire experience for the Mac, which is new and fresh, but designed uniquely for Mac that really takes advantage of that distinct experience that Mac users you know, have come to expect and know and love. So what I found super interesting is that we had this whole period of photorealism and lickability all the way from Aqua to the original springboard on the first iPhone. And then with iOS 7, we got into digital authenticity and everything was high definition, precise typography. And now with the redesign in Big Sur, I like, you know, obviously I can't get all Alan die about it, but you seem to be embracing, uh, like it, it is, it is still very clean. It is still very crisp, but there's almost like layers, uh, not textures, but you have 
the traditional fun of macOS still present everywhere through the operating system. You're spot on. The goal was how do we give the Mac a modern and fresh new look, but that also retains all those fun details that people love when they use a Mac. The classic um, example of that is when you dig into the Mac icons, the new icons in the dock, right? They have a very familiar look. So if you've ever used an iPhone or an iPad, you're gonna feel right at home. And they have a nice uniform design, but they also retain the things that people love about Mac icons. They're detailed. You know, the, the, the mail icon has the return address in the envelope. Um, and there's countless examples of that. And I think the team worked tirelessly to really strike that balance. Um, and I think what they've done is just absolutely phenomenal. I, I'm like, I'm old user yelling at clouds a little bit because I have such um, a, a fondness and nostalgia for the silhouette, like the old style angled and rectangular and highly stylized Mac icons. And now we have something that is very super ellipse. No, probably Squircle is better than super ellipse. I don't want to get yelled at by the design crowd. Uh, we have we have all these icons. Does that let them sit better now that we have a world where we are coexisting across platforms? Or do you think there'll be a mix of both where some developers cling to the to the, the more Mackie Mac side of it and others are like all in on any device you want, we're going to look the same across them? You know, I think you're going to find that the new design, because it strikes that balance of familiarity and detail, I think most are going to I'd like to think that most are going to adopt this new format because I think you do get the best of both worlds, right? And when you look at that lineup at the bottom of the dock, you get that beautiful uniformity across them with the details. And I think developers I, are going to embrace that idea. So there's really a totally new design for apps that makes it even easier to focus on your content. They now have full height sidebars that run top to bottom on the screen, which makes it super easy to drag in content and, and stay organized. And we have integrated toolbar buttons that are really making... They're really giving you access to all those same controls you had before, but it's reducing that complexity in the app so that you can stay more focused on your content. Like the new design, it's almost transparent in its presence because you don't really notice it. <laughs> and I think that's part of why it's so powerful It's that you just focus on your content. It's really interesting because it's not, it's not until you go back and look at the old design that you really just recognize how profound the differences are. I mean, we've just gone the distance, really thinking thoughtfully about all the details so that they come together in this holistic experience that makes the interface feel both familiar and fresh at the same time. And yet um, it's just fluid and seamless and easy to use. Yeah. And for me, it's it was really different. The, f the first time I used it, it was different. I noticed all of it. A week later, I, I could not tell you what it changed. I have to go back and look again. And it's subtle, but I think holistically works really well is the legibility now with the spacing in the text, et cetera. That's just, to me, that is such an Apple detail that just really brings everything together. It's so comfortable. It just, it feels comfortable to look at. Yeah. I mean, it's cool because we were able to really be thoughtful about the organization of, of menus, apps, and everything. So when you look in, when you open a menu, you're going to notice it's just like ever so wider and the font size is just a tiny bit bigger. And so when you look at your Mac, all of a sudden it feels like, you know, magnified. You can like see things better and it's easier to read. And it's, it's, it's just some like, it's those subtle details that really add up to make this experience feel like totally new. <laughs> I actually have a really complicated job. The Mac is, you know, Apple's classic product. It's the traditional computer, but you've always had a wave, a halo wave of iPod and iPhone and iPad users discovering the Mac through the, the consumer electronics. 
And then you have to you have to balance the traditional Mac users who are both always bored and never want change. You know, we hate both those things and all the new people coming from those other products who want some sort of familiarity. And I think you've done just a really, really like you've nailed that sort of balance. And I think this is a really if someone hasn't adopted or if someone hasn't embraced the Mac yet or hasn't been interested in it yet. I think this makes an awesome starting point. If you're coming from an iPhone or like a, like a, a current iPhone or iPad. The Mac just feels so, again, comfortable to fall into. We're so excited. I mean, we still have like 50% of our users are new to Mac. <laughs> and so it really sort of, we want to we want to sort of pay justice to the operating system, like make, make a Mac great, but then also make it easy for those users coming over from iPhone. So it feels familiar from the start. And what I think, Renee, what I think is interesting about that too is it extends as well to our developers. So our developers who are building apps for iPad now have the tools at their disposal to create that familiar experience as they come to the Mac. So things like sidebars and and pull-down menus, et cetera, as they build those apps on iPad and bring them over as universal apps on the Mac, a lot of that stuff will just come for free, um, which is awesome. So the ecosystem really gets better from this approach as well. And you also have the equal and opposite fear, uh, you know, every year of people who are worried that the Mac is going to become too much like the iPad. And now it's also running Apple Silicon. It's running the M1, uh, similar to how you have the A-series on the iPhone and iPad. And for me, someone who's been using the Mac forever, just every day, all day, the, the huge difference is still the workflow. Like the, the Mac at its soul is still very different from the iPad. But I was wondering, especially for you, Stephen, because you, you live in all these worlds, how how does how do you sort of see the Mac maintaining its identity in an era where so much of the software and now down to the silicon level is about integration and scaling across platforms? Our goal, which we you know which we have maintained, this idea that each platform should be distinct. Right, the Mac is a mouse and keyboard driven primary device. iPad is a touch first device, and so each one of those has an experience that's distinct to that hardware. Now, of course, we try to, for consistency, there are times when we want to make those familiar. A lot of our customers have both a Mac and an iPad and, of course, an iPhone. So as they flow between those devices, we want to make it as seamless as possible. And that's where when you, you know, when you open mail on your iPad, it should feel familiar when you open mail on your Mac. But then we want to make sure that we bring out the distinct parts of that workflow that you talked about. You know, the Mac and multiple windows, right? Being able to spread them out, have, you know, all the benefits of that spatially oriented desktop. Whereas on the iPad, you have that more kind of focused full screen or split screen experience. And as you kind of go through each experience, you'll see that we really do maintain this balance of distinct for the platform, but familiar where it's important. And I think you'll see that we will continue to do that really expressing what people love about the Mac and what they expect from their workflows on the Mac and retaining that that great experience um, on each platform. It reminds me of uh, Steve Jobs' really famous analogy about trucks and cars. But, you know, people who like trucks also like the amenities that you often get in a car. And just because you add the nice seats and the nice suspension and the nice stereo system and all of those things doesn't mean you're taking away the big wheels and the, and the flatbed. You're just trying to make a really nice truck. That, that's a, that's a, that's hundred percent correct, right? And that and that is you know we we know how people use a Mac. They push it to its limits, and we want to deliver an experience that lets them continue to do that and even more. We make them great in their own environments, but we also make them great together. So it's really cool. Like you can you can get your SMS messages on Mac. You can you know pick up an app on one device and then use it on the other. 
And we're even letting you like use the capabilities that you have on your iPad to like draw in Mac apps. So it's really becoming sort of this blended universe where you're able to, you have each, each platform, it has its unique way of interacting with it, but we can make them work great together. It's like the Avengers, but with Apple devices. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And what I really love about it is you, you keep bringing the best of both worlds together. Like for somebody who's just a casual user who just wants their computer to work, you can essentially now run a Mac the way you've always run an iPad, you know, get your apps off the Mac app store. But if you are that traditional hobbyist power computer user, you can still run it like a Mac. Like no one's, no one's going to, no one's going to slap your hand if you go to try to download an app from the web. And I think like, again, balancing those things and balancing those two user bases is a real challenge, but you found a, a really good way for people who don't have any bigger expectations to just open it and use it. And for everyone else to sort of go there and flip whatever switches they want to flip. To totally right, Renee. And, and that's the spirit of the Mac, right? And that's what we, that's what we love about the Mac. And I think, you know, just to echo what Trisha was saying that, you know, for our users who have their existing Mac, they upgrade to Big Sur. When they make that leap to an M1 Mac, the beauty of it is it works exactly the same way, yet it's so much better, right? Everything they do gets faster, more responsive, instant wake from sleep. So it really takes that familiar experience. They don't have to learn anything new when they come to, a, to an M1 Mac, but their life just gets so much better. And I think that's an awesome... Um, that should, that'll just be an awesome experience for all of our users. And it's something that we're, you know, extremely excited about. When you look at things like unified memory and just the amount of performance that comes uh, without, not at the expense of efficiency and the battery life that you're getting, what sort of excites you most about, you've been doing this for a while, but what sort of excites you most about the future of the Mac going forward? So for me, I think one of the most exciting things is you don't have to trade off battery life for performance with these new incredible processors, right? You get 20 hours of battery life and you get all of that performance. And I think that's a real testament to what we were really going after with these new processors. You know, it, it, Renee, you can remember, there was a time when you had to decide, okay, do I want the incredibly powerful computer that I have to keep plugged in or do I want the one that with better battery life but, um, but you know, maybe didn't have the same performance. Now we've kind of melded the best of both worlds I had together. the 17-inch battleship, sir. I feel you so much right exactly. now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think these new um, M1 Macs, you get the best of both worlds there. And I think that's, that's absolutely incredible for our users and really sets them up for the future. Yeah, and, and Trisha, you guys live in the future. Like you're literally thinking of the things that we'll, that we'll all only experience uh, in a couple of years from now. But that, that sort of really resonates with me that this is also, as exciting as it is, this is also just the beginning. Yeah. I mean, these are our first new chips. They're designed for these low power systems that are smaller and, you know, require incredible power efficiency. And I can't wait to see where we're going to go with this. <laughs> I mean, it's just the start. So it's only going to get better. You can tell the Silicon team is excited and are willing to strut a little bit when they drop their own die shot on event day. <laughs> Absolutely, totally. right? Absolutely. Back in the previous transition, one of the promises was you could run like Windows apps and you could do boot camp and things like that. This time, the huge promise is iOS apps and iPad OS apps. And what does that mean for Mac users going forward? Yeah, great question. I think one of the other really exciting parts of this new kind of era of Macs with M1 chips is the fact that we can now run the largest collection of apps ever on a Mac, right? We have universal apps, right? These are native apps that take kind of direct advantage of the incredible capabilities in M1. And 
if you're on an Intel Mac, the beauty is they'll run great there too. So our users don't have to don't have to worry about, well, did I get the right version of the app? We take care of all of that for them. We package them all up into a into a universal app. So it just runs on whatever platform they're on. Then we've got Rosetta 2. So for all of your apps that haven't been updated yet, not to worry, they run seamlessly on M1 Macs. And what's really cool is when you look at the performance of, of apps running under Rosetta 2, the vast majority will run just as well as they did on their native Intel platform. And some, especially those that are metal accelerated, in some cases run even faster, which is unbelievable, right? Down to the details of how when you download the app for the first time, we translate it on install so it's ready to go. I think it's safe to say that you're an integrated company and you've been planning this for several years. Exactly, exactly, right? Which I think is awesome for our users. And then finally, as you mentioned, now we have this world where you can run iPhone and iPad apps on M1 thanks to the scalable shared architecture. And those apps will be available right in the Mac App Store so our users can easily find them and download them and run them. They run like you would expect a Mac app to run, right? They appear in the menu bar. They have, you know, the, the stoplight buttons for close and minimize, and, and you have the capability to re, they're, you know, they're able to be resized, et cetera. So these, these run like Mac apps. And so when you put this all together, you can run more software than ever on these new Macs. And that's, that's an amazing, that's just an amazing new capability for our users. I know we have to wrap up, but I can't let you go without asking you one of my favorite topics, one of the most important topics, and that is accessibility, which you guys always prioritize, you always put on stage, and I can just never hear enough about. So we think that technology is most powerful when all users have access to it. And that's why accessibility is so important on the Mac. Last year with macOS Catalina, we launched voice control. And this was a powerful new feature that let users interact seamlessly with their Mac using their voice. So this year, we're making it even easier for all of our users to set up all those amazing new features, including voiceover, voice control, and so much more. The setup assistant includes new videos, which lets you sort of get an understanding of what those are before you set them up. And then we also know that, especially with COVID-19, so many people are voice conferencing. So FaceTime now detects when a participant is using sign language and makes them prominent in those group FaceTime calls so they can have a fantastic experience in those apps too. Well, thank you both so much for your time. I know this is peak busy season for you and all the teams. And 2020 is just a wild year to be doing any of this stuff. So thank you for your time. Thank you for all your efforts, all the team's efforts. And I just can't wait to see, I'm going to steal your line. I can't wait to see how everyone reacts and how everyone uses uh, Big Sur. Awesome. Thanks, Renee. This was uh, always, always a pleasure. So appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks, yeah, Renee. me too. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks. <laughs>